Hello everybody, uh, good afternoon from Mirko. Uh, we're about to start a very exciting episode of Coffee with Mirko. So get yourself seated, get yourself comfortable, get yourself a cup of coffee. I'm brewing my coffee while I introduce you to uh, today's guest. So be ready today. Hey, Billy, my oh, man. Um, I'm gonna hit up the water. And uh, basically today we are hosting one of the pioneers of specialty coffee worldwide. So his name is Tim Wendable, and I'm sure you've heard of him. If you haven't heard of Tim, uh, Tim is uh, the 2004 World Barista Champion. So one of the first World Barista Champions. And uh, he lives in Norway, Oslo, Norway. And there he's a roaster, barista, author, writer, and he has inspired thousands and thousands of people uh, when it comes to coffee, especially, especially when it comes to specialty coffee because uh, he's all about light, super light roast, and his coffee is known all over the world. So I'm very, very excited to meet with him and have a good chat. As usually, you'll be able to ask some open questions and uh, you'll be able to ask all the things that uh, you guys want as we go through a series of questions that are prepared, catered for, for him. So I'm very excited. Uh, he's definitely one of the coffee people that I've always looked up to and uh, many of us have. So I feel very grateful to be in this position to offer myself and you guys a platform where we'll be able to have such an icon as far as coffee goes. So. Um, without further ado, we're going to plunge this bad boy and then we're going to jump right into it. So I'm going to say hi to a few people. Hey, Sadie, The Coffest, GZN, Tim is in the house too. Hey, Tim, we'll see you in 45 seconds. Hey, Fala and uh, Nikolai and all the rest are going to join us very shortly. Um, so yeah, get yourself a cup of coffee. It's coffee with Mirko time, so ideally this is like a big communal table where we all drink a cup of coffee as we uh, listen, learn, and get inspired by this amazing coffee legend. So yeah, that's what we're gonna do. So hey Jessica, good to see you again. Galid, it's always good to see you all. And uh, as usual, hope you're safe, hope you are doing it fantastic and uh, that your family as well is well. So that's always the priority. Um, what I really like is that I was actually able to taste some of Tim's coffee here in Melbourne and uh, I'm glad I've done that because uh, not recently, it was about six months ago, but we'll talk about it in a minute. My left ear is also very blocked, so Hopefully I don't talk too loud or too soft, but we are ready. Coffee's here. It's a natural Mexican coffee from a micro roaster here in Melbourne called Gridlock. And uh, that's what I've been drinking for the past week. And then we'll move on to the next coffee as it's finished. So I'm gonna request it. Let's have a look where Tim is. 
Hey, Tim, are you still there? Uh, it says that you're unable to join for some weird reason. Maybe you can send me through a request. Um, usually I'm able to send through. Maybe I'll send it to you as a DM and we'll see if that works. This is never happened. Let's have a look. All right. Yeah, I can see you here. Um, it's just, uh, I actually have a screenshot and uh, um, you can't say. Um, if you go onto your DMs team, I've just sent you an invite to join the live stream. So hopefully that works with that loop. Um, yeah, usually that works as well. Because when I click on the double uh, emojis, it actually shows that you're not available, which is very strange. And a little bit, uh, hopefully we can fix that. Um, but yeah, it's all right, technical, technical issues. But if you go back on your direct messages, I've just sent you a link to join the live again. Maybe that works. Um, if not, then we'll work it out. Um, let's have a look. In the meantime, for people who are joining us, I'm going to type who we're talking to today. Talking with Tim Wendobo. And we'll hopefully be able to get that sorted. All right, so bear with us, guys. It's all right. It's a long way from Oslo to Melbourne, so... In the meantime, it's uh, it's about waiting and engaging with you, which is cool. Natasha, Elish, oh, who else we got? Borderless Cafe, passionate about coffee. Good to see you, Mansur Bavi, and then we go DC fifty eight, and here we go. Connecting. Sorry, guys. No, no, all good. I had hey, to update team. my app for some reason. <laughs> yeah. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. I'm good. Good. Oh, oh. Be oh, oh, <laughs> this is the. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> Hello. That's uh, that's that's great to see the 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 magic lab where the magic happens. Yeah, I'm a bit a bit alone because of the Corona situation, but uh, I have a couple of guys downstairs roasting. So, which brings me to the first very question: How's you and your family doing with the situation and the virus? Everyone okay? Yeah, everyone is okay. I've, I, you know, the situation is still uh, the country is kind of on a semi lockdown, so a lot of restaurants and public stuff is closed down. And uh, it means our coffee shop is not fully operating as normal. We're only selling takeaway. And uh, that means we need less staff. And a couple of our uh, team members are actually on, uh, uh, on temporary leave. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the government uh, pays uh, uh, salary when you're on leave. So I think they get like 66% of their normal salary. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. 
Yeah, but for the first month, they actually got 100%. Uh, so, uh, nice. You know, everyone is okay and everyone is understanding that this is, uh, you know, difficult measures needs to be made. And fortunately, we have a lot of online sales and uh, yeah. we are seeing some wholesale clients opening up. So the roastery is going uh, okay. And, you know, this week we're actually roasting probably four days uh, because we have subscription as well. We're sending out subscription to the whole world. So nice. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm working in the roastery today as well, packing coffee and doing whatever needs to be done. You 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 hustle in a way, and uh, thank you for providing and saving the world with your amazing <laughs> coffee. <laughs> yeah, um, if, if, if it if it arrives, because uh, we have so many uh, uh, you know shipments that are delayed because of the corona. So if you go, yeah. you see like in the states, people are waiting like three four weeks before they even get their coffee. So. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's difficult, but uh, we I think we'll survive this. Absolutely, and I'm glad that you and your family are doing well because that's the number one priority, I believe, at the moment yeah, is sure. keeping safe and then be grateful for what we have because I think that sometimes we forget that we got a roof, we got food, we got loved ones and friends. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we're we're gonna get through it together. I think this exchange of interviews have really highlighted how well-rounded and strong and tight the coffee community is yeah. and we're just going to have to help each other all along the way from from farm to cup for yeah. sure i um, think you know uh, the the people who will be suffering the most as always probably in the end is the farmer because i do see a lot of uh not a lot but i've, I've seen uh, you know both importers and and roasters canceling containers of coffee that are already produced, you know, and uh, uh, that means, you know, the farmer has to sell it in, in the normal marketplace for a much lower price and maybe they spend more money producing that coffee and so on. So I think, yeah. you know, f at least for me, it's been very important to try to support the farmers we work with. And we even put some coffees on sale just to keep the volume up, you know, because even though we're able to sell a decent amount of coffee, the volume is for sure down because the, all, the, all our wholesale clients are closed. So. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah. Um, look, you're considered a pioneer in the industry, especially when it comes to specialty. Um, I'm, not, I'm not that old. <laughs> no, well, you don't look old, that's for sure. Um, but, like, you know, we, we can easily say, well, you were the, we'll get, we're going to get there later, but you were the fourth person to ever be the world barista champion. So that, that, that tells the story. So. I believe from memory, 2004. Uh, now, aside from you, what you've done and what everyone knows about you, but how did you actually start in coffee? Well, it was actually just like most other people, almost by coincidence. Uh, I had finished high school. And uh, after high school in Norway, at least back in the days, uh, there were two options. You either went to university or you went to the military. And uh, I didn't want to do any of them. <laughs> So uh, I, I wanted to find a, a job, and, and back then it was quite hard to get a job in, in Norway, especially for a 19-year-old. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, I was looking in bars, but I was too young to serve alcohol. Uh, I was looking in, like, hair salons, whatever, you know. Um, and uh, because I'd been working in a grocery store for many years, I didn't want to do that. So there weren't really that many options for me, and... I'm not the most physical strong guy either. So, you know, construction was kind of out of, uh, <laughs> out of uh, the question. 
But uh, yeah, I really couldn't really find a job. And then I just went downtown to kind of walk the streets to look if there were anyone like having notes in their windows, which used to be normal back then. And then I found this uh, cafe and started working there. And it turned out to be actually a coffee shop and was one of the first out of, I think it was like four or five coffee shops that had opened uh, in like just a couple of years before. Um, so this was in 1998, and I think the first coffee shop opened in 96 or 97 in Oslo. Uh, so it was kind of a new thing, and I, I didn't really know what a coffee shop was. I didn't drink coffee, so you know, I had never really gone to a coffee shop. And uh, that was it. I went to a three-hour training at the roastery that owned the coffee shop, and, and uh, the day after, I was working. <laughs> wow. And that's it. Yeah. So that's cool. uh, it was kind of a coincidental and, you know, in, because it was new, nobody really knew anything about making good espresso. Um, so the roaster that owned the coffee shop was Solbergen Hansen, which is, you know, one of the pioneers in specialty coffee here in, in the Nordics. And uh, they were kind of visiting the shop quite a lot, like in my old kind of grandmaster, Willy, who taught me how to make espresso. He came in, you know, a couple of times a week and we would talk about espresso and try new things and he would bring a grinder for me to test. And, and it was kind of a, uh, uh, it was a group of people who really wanted to learn as much as possible about making good espresso. Yeah. So. Wow, that's, that's, that's a good story because I think, yeah, like you said, many of us coffee finders rather than the way around them, which is, which yeah. is great because he, he brought to the world a lot of amazing people and professionals and we pushed boundaries and grow as, as, a, as an entire community. And then you won the 2004 WBC in Trieste in Italy, back in, in my hometown, pretty much, yeah. not far oh, from cool. where I'm from. Yeah. And uh, with, your tiramisu, with your tiramisu signature drink, which is uh, still uh, quite, quite interesting. And I mean... <laughs> How, how defining was that moment for your coffee path and career, but also for Norway? Well, I think, you know, uh, for me, the, it was more of a, an end of a, of a chapter in my career and the start of a new one. I had been competing since two, no, since 99. So the year after I started working with coffee, I, I started competing because the, the format of the WBC actually started in Norway. So uh, we had like a Norwegian championship that was that format. And uh, the year after, they brought the format to the world of coffee in, in Monaco. Uh, and I went there and uh, the Norwegian uh, Robert Thorsen won the first world championship. And we were kind of competing head to head in Norway. So when I saw him winning, you know, it was for me a very good motivation to continue trying to, to be better and, and to try to win the world championship. So when... When I finally made it in Trieste, I had decided, you know, that was the last year because I had then been competing for many years and it took a lot of time and resources to do it. And uh, of course, you close one chapter and a new one opens. So I got the opportunity to travel to, to origin and to, to other countries in Europe like Greece and uh, UK and to, to teach, you know, about barista skills. And, and that kind of... Uh, 
took me a little bit away from my day-to-day job, which was, I was basically then uh, head of uh, quality control in, in a chain of coffee shops, um, the same that I had always worked for. And we were running like six coffee shops and, you know, I, I, my head was elsewhere. So uh, I decided to leave and then a year after I opened my own company and started to work yeah. for that. And, and like you said, you know, since, since your final, the competition kept, and keeps changing and evolving. Uh, and, you know, do you think that it helped the coffee movement and change the old perception of the barista as in, you know, where now is seen more as a craft, craft you know, almost like a craft and, a, you know, be treated a little bit more with respect? Yeah, I think it's been part of it. I don't think it's the only thing that's done it, but it's definitely been part of it. And, uh, you know, I, I think the competition, at least the first uh, maybe 10 years, uh, maybe even the first 15 years, has really been a catalyst for pushing coffee quality, not just in coffee shops, but also on coffee farms, in roasting. Um, because everyone wants to do better and everyone wants to support a barista that can win, you know. And the baristas have been asking questions and pushing and communicating more with farmers. So, you know... The, the timing was right because internet just happened to start right, right around that same time. And, um, uh, you know, communication became easier. Smartphones suddenly came, uh, became available to the whole world. And uh, all of a sudden I was able to, you know, go on Facebook and send messages to a farmer, which was impossible before, you know. That's so right. I think... And, and because we had like a common meeting point, which was the exhibitions and the competitions, uh, that kind of gathered us together, I think, and, and made uh, and pushed the quality a lot. Today, I think, you know, there's other, I don't think the competition is as important. I think a lot of people have lost a little bit of interest. Um, but uh, it doesn't mean that it's not important at all. I think it's still a good, great way for uh, baristas to make a career move, and but it's definitely not the only way, you know. And it's it's a very diff, it's a very difficult way because there can only be one winner every year. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think um, what, what I was going as well with it is that it gave the chance to a few countries to start moving there. So I think about South Korea, or I was talking with Mikhail yesterday about Indonesia on how you know him being the first Indonesian barista reaching the world. So I guess. All of a sudden, you're awake. You know, even even Italy with Gardelli or uh, with uh, Sanapo, or we're looking at you know the latest with Latte Art. I think it's just more those countries where I think it's less established. It's a chance to kind of be on stage to say, "Hey, yeah. I'm the world barista champion. I'm not just your barista giving you one your espresso," which it gives a little bit more questions and opens conversation. But yeah, no, I agree. These days with the internet as well is there's a lot to it, for sure. There's yeah. a lot and to come. You know, I can honestly say that, especially in, in countries like Colombia, uh, I, I have a very good friend there who is a barista champion, and he's well-respected now, and people actually accept that he's a barista, whereas before this would be, you know, not a good enough job in order to create a family and so on. But uh, Diego, he's actually the current... Uh, Colombian barista champion. He's now married, has a kid. He's bought a coffee farm. He's a barista. He's a trainer. You know, and uh, that wouldn't be possible without this competition because the only way that he has be, been able to kind of uh, 
gain respect uh, in the coffee industry there is because he, he has become a champion. And of course, he's been extremely loyal to his uh, employer. And uh, that also, you know, is, is key, I think. You know, he's a hardworking guy. 100%. And then, like you mentioned, in 2007, you started your roastery cafe. And <laughs> since then, you've been always trying to push the boundaries of coffee uh, based on your pillar, which one of them is obviously transparency when it comes to coffee. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, when I opened the roastery, I, I kind of wanted to to move away from being known as the barista champion uh, because I felt that that was something that I had already done and kind of belonged in a little bit in the past for me. And uh, I wanted to become more known for what I wanted to do, which was running a roastery and, you know, and, and uh, that meant that I really needed to have very good green coffee and uh, and also be able to roast well and and during that kind of uh, quality discovery I, I very early on I, I realized you know if I'm if I'm going to be able to brew the best coffee and roast good coffee you really need to have the best possible green coffee and the only way to know that you have great green coffee is to know the person who actually produced it so um you know, it's a matter of me for, uh, uh, it, it's simple. It's you're respecting the suppliers you have and you're working together. And uh, if I have a problem, they will have a problem. If they have a problem, I will have a problem. It's as simple as that. Yes. And of course you can, uh, you can be the best roaster in the world and, and travel to origin every day and cut through thousands of samples and buy the best coffee that year from any given farm. But, you know, there's no consistency in it and it's really hard work not sustainable i think for anyone and uh, uh for me it just meant i i decided that i would rather focus on wor working with a couple of farmers that i really liked working with and where i liked the coffee and we could try to improve the quality and diversify the quality by planting different varieties you know introducing different processes and so on i, I like that i really like that i think it's one of the first time that i hear as well out loud um which yeah, I really appreciate. I'm letting I'm letting that sink in. It reminded me of uh, my very first job when I was in Italy. It was in the wine industry, and uh, well, it was like a like a little agency. It was just an export, but they were only using the same Italian vineyards to export um, because of that relationship. And you know, we always talk about us working in the people industry first, but usually we think you know barista customer or a roasta cafe, but I think the relationship roasta farmer uh, to be consistent and long-term is essential to the ally, which is for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I have had some uh, employees uh, saying that it's a little boring because we only have the same coffees year after year. We have, uh, you know, customers who say the same, but uh, I was actually checking uh, yesterday uh, how many different lots we actually bought last year. 65 different lots. And it's only from like, you know, we work closely with four producers in the Americas and a couple of producers in Africa. So uh, for me, it's definitely not boring. And we, we're getting a lot more uh, different varieties and different lots from each farm now that, are, you know, have very different flavor profiles. So, and I knew this was going to happen. It's just you need patience, you know, because when you plant... A new variety, for instance, it, it can take up to 10 years before it's actually in producing well, you know, because 
you plant a couple of, a couple of trees with the farmer and then you wait uh, you know three four years before it actually yields anything then you taste it the first harvest is normally not that good so you'll wait another year taste it again if it's you know producing okay and the flavor is great then you can plant more and then you have to wait another you know four or five years before it actually produces so it's a quite a long process but uh, we're on like the fifth sixth and seventh year on in in several farms now in this process and we're starting to see you know good volumes of uh it's not huge volumes you know but good enough for us uh, that we can use because we're a small roaster yeah and uh, look i think we all know that coffee always tastes different in terms of you know every year is going to be slightly more or less different so and that's where probably you can also play around more with processing and uh, introducing different things at farm as well as in your roastery uh, as far yeah. as what you do with the coffee so it's almost more challenging because if you go and you have a thousand lots then you just kind of like you know uh, yeah i see the challenge but i think that you like the challenge too of like let's try to make this coffee taste different than last year not different but better maybe yeah, yeah, we always try to make it better. Of course, you're, sometimes nature doesn't allow it to be better. But uh, in my experience, if you're working with a, a good producer, they will still be able to produce you know, clean and sweet coffees. And uh, maybe one year it's more fruity than another. You know. But uh, at least uh, in my experience, personally, like, I, I prefer to drink coffees where I know uh, how it's produced and who it's produced of instead of just drinking a randomly delicious coffee, it doesn't give me the same kind of pleasure, you know? Uh, I get you, yeah. Qu quality is more than just the taste. It's, at least for me now, it's, uh, it's uh, also an intellectual experience, I think, when you drink coffee. I get you. It, it, it's definitely a more, uh, almost like a more intimate relationship in terms of with a cup of coffee, because it's not just a coffee, a delicious coffee, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I like the sound of that, and I think it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of stories from you that, you know, that you have experience and lots of memories at Origin. So, yeah, I appreciate that for sure. And uh, a small curiosity, do you still serve AeroPress at the bar? Yeah, we do. Uh, uh, I was actually trying to introduce Batch Brew now because of the corona uh, crisis. And we, we have to kind of, especially in the weekends, we have now a line out the door because we have to keep distance and you know we can only allow four people in the store at the same time and you know in order to make that move faster i thought why don't we just introduce batch brew but uh, my baristas don't want to they prefer to make aeropress and <laughs> they said you know it's fine we we can easily manage uh, making aeropress for everyone and so it's it's quite popular and uh, normally we have a popular item on the menu which is like in an aeropress tasting where you get four coffees served uh, and it's for two people uh, and, you know, I think, you know, it's easy to brew with the AeroPress and make the coffee really pop uh, or, or shine. Uh, whereas I think it's easy with the we're pour over as well. But uh, some coffees, at least for me, uh, are even more expressive when you brew them fast on an AeroPress. Wow, that's, that's interesting. That's cool. Um, and look briefly on the AeroPress. I've asked you because there's a, the only cafe in Melbourne who serves AeroPress is also the only cafe who usually serves overseas roasters. And that's where I actually drank your coffee for the first time oh, cool. because they serve it. <laughs> so the guys at Shambles and uh, uh, Little Rogue. So, yeah, they, um, 
they always have overseas. And yeah, they had you on rotation. So I was lucky to have your coffee there. Um, That's good. And now we got a little question from passionate about coffee, uh, New Zealand barista. Obviously, ask how you're doing and um, how do you decided your roast finishing time by choosing uh, percentage uh, dev time or bean temperature? And the other question is, how did you choose your espresso cup for your different beans? Uh, so you oh, served yeah. espresso in a different cup shape. Okay, so let's take the cup first. Uh, we've actually developed... Uh several cups, uh, one with a commercial cup uh, supplier, and then, but that we use them mainly for our uh, AeroPress coffees. And they have different shapes because they will give you different uh, flavor experience, uh, depending on the shape. And people who don't believe that, we have the science to prove it now. So <laughs> I can, uh, there's, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Fabiana Carvalho, I think it's her name. Um, the Brazilian uh, neuroscientist, and she's been doing a lot of research on cup shape, cup color, cup texture uh, on, on different coffees, and uh, both with consumers and professional, and in both cases found that people do perceive the same coffee differently in different cups, cups. which, you know, you don't have to be a... Uh, it's, it's easy to understand that, because if you drink Coca-Cola out of a glass or of a, a, a coffee cup, it, it will give you a different experience, you know. So... Um, we we choose the coffee based or the cup based on the coffee profile and you know for instance with uh, our, our coffee from Finca Tamana, you know we want to kind of enhance the the more uh, sweetness of it because we think that's the kind of best uh, attribute that that particular coffee has so we have a more narrow cup that is kind of tulip shaped to kind of enhance the sweetness and take away some of the acidity perception. Of course, the coffee doesn't change, but uh, you, you change your perception, and especially the first impression when you drink the coffee. And uh, the second question was regarding roasting and development time and all these kind of things. Yes. Uh, we actually work uh, a little backwards. We, we don't theorize too much when we, we do roast profiling. Uh, I think, you know, theory can be beautiful, but it's also quite confusing. And... Um, uh, uh, so so we, we normally just, when we get a new coffee, we'll, we'll do a test roast of it. And, you know, we're quite familiar with our roasting machine now and the quantity we roast and so on. Uh, so we'll just put it in the roaster and, you know, just roast it like we think it should be roasted. Uh, and, you know, timing-wise, we are kind of in a sweet spot that we like to be uh, on our coffees. Um, and then... Once it's roasted, we'll wait, you know, four or five days and then cup it and then analyze the curve and see, you know, should we speed it up? Is it astringent? Is it green? You know, is it a little flat? Is it baked? And then we'll do another test and, and do adjustments based on what we think. And then that's how we work. And it will take normally one or two tests before we're happy with being able to sell the coffee. But after that, we will still continue tweaking the recipe, you know, until the coffee is done. <laughs> so, and sometimes, you know, you can drift a little bit towards slightly slower or slightly faster, uh, slightly darker or slightly lighter. So you, you kind of have to do a QC every week and, and compare a little bit with what you have done in the past and, and see. So 
I don't like to talk about development time and temperatures or anything because it's so depending on the coffee and also the roasting machine, how it's set up, what kind of probes you have. I don't like to talk about how curves should look like because that also really depends on the probe placement, the probe thickness, you know. Uh, and it, I think it confuses more than, uh, and than uh, it helps sometimes. And uh, people get obsessed about curves having to look like this or times having to be like that or you know in in my experience in coffee things that you learn that uh, is normally just a general rule but there's so many exceptions to the rule always because coffee is not a one standard product you know so uh, you kind of have to start uh, getting to know your own roasting machine getting to know the coffees you buy it's a, smart to you know try to buy coffees from the same place every year because it makes you more consistent and you start to understand the coffees and so on. Makes sense. Th thanks for that. And uh, apologies for the glare, but I don't have a no studio problem. with perfect lighting, but uh, it's all good. Um, um, no, yeah, that, that really explained it. And uh, uh, Danny, uh, who was also here on the interview, he confirmed that it's uh, uh, Fabiana Carvalho and yeah, that you can find her at Coffee Sensorium. So, is uh, is another Brazilian fellow of um, her probably. Um, thanks for that, Danny. And uh, a question that Akeri Gero asks is: uh, Is there a proper way to grind coffee? Um, you're the expert, but there's I mean there's there's different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have uh, gotten to the bottom of grinding for sure. Uh, the problem when you shatter beans into small pieces is that you get not just one uniform grind partic particle size, you get so many different ones. And uh, yeah, we can see that uh, when you have a lot of uh, large particles, they don't extract as well as the small ones, for sure. Um, so you, you probably, in theory, want to have a more uniform one. Uh, but then again, if you grind everything to the finest dust, you won't be able to filter the coffee because it will block the filters and so on. So, you know, uh, I'm not sure if there is, is one way to grind coffee that is, suits everything. I think, you know, different roast profiles will give you different results anyway, uh, even if you use the same grinder. And a good, good example is that I actually tried to grind, um, this was just a couple of months ago, I, I decided to just see what happens if I take the coffee straight out of the roaster and put it into the grinder and grind it when it's like still 200 degrees. <laughs> and uh, it was quite a fine setting, but you know, the coffee was so elastic that it, it came out like, you know, half broken beans only, like huge particles. Uh, so that's obviously not great. And we can also see that if the coffee is very moist or lighter roasted, it grinds different than if it's darker roasted and so on. So. You know, the industry tend to favor roller grinders, but I think that's just because we, we have never been able to test them properly because they're huge and expensive. So we tend to romanticize things that we can't, you know, access. Uh, in my experience, uh, yeah, a well-adjusted great grinder will for sure give you sweeter coffee. But it doesn't mean you're not able to brew good coffee on grinders that are not, you know, 100% perfect. I yeah. think, you know, yeah, it's great to chase that perfect cup and, and uh, perfect extraction and everything. But uh, for most people, this is not reality, you know. 
for most of our clients, they're using a home grinder. And then you have to kind of give them advice that they can use with their equipment and so on. But uh, mm. we're still trying to, you know, find, the, especially for espresso, we're trying to find better grinders. Uh, we're still using rollers with conical burrs, uh, which, because the grinder is just like a workhorse, uh, mm. and most of the grinders that I've tested that, you know, might have better grind quality, have inferior uh, build quality, and in a high-volume environment, they don't perform well, you know? So, um, um, yeah, I, I can't really answer the question whether there is a perfect grind for coffee. I think, you know, uh, different grinders suit different needs and uh, different coffees and so on. Yeah, and I think we'll go back to, you know, the, the famous stories, uh, the Matt Perger of the world or different things. It's all about re innovating and trying to keep experimenting like you are with 200 degrees coffee uh, into a grinder. <laughs> and uh, I, think, I think even at home it works that way in a, in a, in a different way, in a different scale. But ultimately, it's like when my customers, when I used to work for a coffee roaster, asked me, what was the perfect recipe? And I was like, just, you know, the one that you think it tastes the better. Like, sure, this yeah. is the guide, but ultimately, and in fact, we, we did several tests where our recipe was not working out the best for them because of their equipment, their barista skill, and, you know, all the other variables. So I think it's just the same with grinding. I think it's just about finding what works for you based on what you enjoy. Yeah. And you know what, what even complicates it more is because we do a lot of, uh, we sell a lot of coffee to, to consumers and uh, we get a lot of emails about, you know, how can I brew? How should I grind? And this is such a difficult uh, question to answer because uh, let's just take uh, water, for instance. If you're brewing with, um, we, we always brew with boiling water, like the, as hot as possible because you lose so much temperature anyway. And the lighter rolls really favors very hot water to get extracted well. If you brew with slightly colder water, you know, the, the, the brewing time is going to increase because the water is not going to go through the coffee in the same speed. And the same if you have less minerals or more minerals, this will affect how fast the coffee, water goes through the coffee. If your grinder burrs are slightly disaligned, you might get more fines and more boulders. You know, if your grinder burrs are more worn down than mine, you know, even if it's the same type of grinder, you can't have the same setting. The paper filters really affect, you know, a paper filter is not a paper filter. Each filter is different. And uh, even the same manufacturer can have different factories supplying them filters. Um, uh, I mean, different brands buy filters from different manufacturers. And the, the paper filter will greatly uh, impact, you know, the speed of the, the filtration. So... Uh, there's so many variables that it's impossible to say how you should grind without me being there and tasting and checking the extraction. And so I, I think, think, you know, I think yeah. the best yeah, way to, you, to, start yeah. is to, to start measuring extraction and tasting your own coffee. Especially for you, I was saying, because I'm um, sorry for, for cutting you off, but because um, you have customers all over the world. So it's like uh, with this Australian roaster I used to work for, our issues were interstate for wholesale partners. So, you know, you know, Queensland uh, versus New South Wales and Victoria or Western Australia, different type of water um, and filtration systems. But we still had issues. But when you talk about, you know, your coffee is in 
the water from Boston is very different than the way the water in Norway all the way to Melbourne and yeah. God knows which other you know countries that buy that buy your coffee. So I, I get it. It's, it's difficult to answer that question for sure. And um, yeah, it is. There's another interesting question coming through from Phil. Um, do you think that it's important to have a taste calibration on a regular basis? I'm talking about calibration with water solutions of lemon, apple acids, sugar, salt, and so on. Thank you. Uh, I don't think it's uh, necessary in order to be a good taster, you know. Uh, I think it's a good training tool for sure to train people to be able to uh, at least uh, do the basic tastes and I, I find a lot of uh, customers confusing bitterness and, and acidity uh, which is probably the most common mistake in the beginning and then you know I'm, I'm not so sure that it's important to be able to discriminate between citric acid and malic acid because in a cup of coffee you normally have both anyway, and uh, uh, acidity is more complex than just saying this is citric, you know. Um, also for me, being a good coffee taster really depends on where you work. Like uh, if you're a barista, you're probably more going to taste or look for bitterness, sourness, you know, these kind of things, and sweetness. If you're a coffee buyer, you're probably going to look more for defects, you know, off tastes, <laughs> stuff like that. So it really depends on which area in coffee you're going to work. And of course, for me, at least uh, as a green coffee buyer, the best tasters are the ones who are able to kind of isolate one coffee uh, and not and evaluate that isolated, regardless of what other coffees are on the table. Because it's very easy to, for example, if, if you come to an exporter and they have quite mediocre coffees on the table, you will still find the best one and you might score them much higher than if, uh, if that coffee was on the table with better coffees in general. So everything is in context. So the best tasters are kind of able to really analyze the coffee for what it is and uh, also have good taste memory, like remembering stuff they have tasted before and, and so on. And also remember the, like for instance, when I use notes, they're not for me to impress anyone. It's for me to be able to remember that coffee. So I have kind of my tasting language that I use because it's for me to be remember what I've tasted. Um, where I think a lot of tasters tend to focus a lot on describing aromatics and then they forget, you know, mouthfeel, acidity, bitterness. So to answer the question uh, shortly, yeah, I think it's a great training tool to, to calibrate with these tasting solutions. But, uh, it doesn't necessarily make you a better taster because to become a good taster, you also have to have a lot of experience, I think. Yeah, lots of practice, yeah. I, I yeah. see a good friend of mine, he's, you know, uh, competing. So, yeah, I get, yeah. Thanks, thanks and for I that. I think, um, you know, for, for me, the best training tool uh, with tasting has been to taste with other professionals who are very good at tasting and, and really analyze coffees together and, and talk about coffees that you taste together. That's great tip. Thank you. And uh, Matthew is asking, uh, are you thinking about buying more naturally processed coffee in the future? The Tatmara, the Tatmara was absolutely amazing. Also, will the Tatmara come back? Uh, yeah. 
Well, the, the, we have bought naturals in the past and we started buying a little bit uh, last year from Ethiopia. And the reason actually was uh, we're really trying to find a couple of farmers that we can work directly with in Ethiopia. And that kind of opened up uh, last year or two years ago. Um, so Tatmara is one of the farms and uh, we're, we're also trying to buy from a couple of others at the moment. Uh, I'm still waiting for samples from Tatmara. Uh, he had some issues with a lot of rain in his area, so the drying was slow, and that has delayed a lot uh, the process of uh, finishing the coffee. But uh, given that the coffee is clean and sweet, we will buy it, and um, I agree that coffee is amazing. Um, and we will probably continue buying uh, natural from Ethiopia, uh, but we're also trying uh, to help both uh, Negusia at Tatmara Plantation to invest in a washing station. And we have seen that one of the other farms we're buying from already built a washing station. And the reason why this is good is because, um, for instance, this year or this season, Negusia at Tatmara was almost not able to produce coffee because he couldn't dry it. It was raining all the time. And uh, with naturals, it's much more difficult to dry when it's wet and humid than if you have washed coffees. Because the washed coffees, you can cover, you know, it can, and it dries faster. So um, we want to help them be able to diversify so that they are able to produce both great naturals and great washed coffees and honey processed if they, if they want to. So, yes, we'll probably continue buying some naturals, but probably not increase the amount. Uh, but it's one of the, you know, if, if they're good, I, I enjoy drinking them myself. And we, we do have customers who love them as well. 100%. And uh, uh, this is a quick question because the answer is very complex. But which type of coffee machines, roasters, do you do like the most? Um, the roasters? Yeah, it's an interesting question. But... Well, I guess uh, at the moment I'm using a Rust sample roaster. Uh, but they're also, you know, their offices are uh, here. <laughs> this is the Rust guys. Oh, that's thanks where, for that's where they make the, the roaster. <laughs> and uh, it's a really good sample roaster. And um, yeah, uh, of course, I'm a, bit, a little bit biased, but as a green buyer, it's, it's fantastic. And uh, also, we use a Loring now uh, in production, which I think is fantastic. It's really made our life a lot easier. It's more consistent, less emissions. You know, we use less gas per kilo. And um, uh, but it, I'm not saying it's the perfect roaster because the, that also has room for improvement. So I think you know different uh, different uh, companies and people have different needs, different preferences in how the coffee should taste like. So, but for my style and and our workflow, the Loring really works well. Fantastic. Um, I think she made the actual coffee machine, but that's why they're as in to use at the cafe. Um, but uh, well, yeah, the, I think a very good answer to that is the best uh, coffee machine to use in a cafe is the one that doesn't break. And if it breaks, you need to have a good service partner. And Correct. You know, it, does, it doesn't matter to have the most fancy machine if, if there's no good service uh, partner that can service the machine. You know, you're, you're going to be was, stuck. Yeah. That was going to be pretty much my answer because we had actually an issue with some, uh, well, we can't name brands for legal reasons, but um, yeah, 100%. Um, Sarah Vash is asking, any estimation for when Teams, Finkel, Swallow, 
uh, could be productive on a bigger <laughs> scale? Oof, yeah, this is difficult. Uh, this year, we're actually gonna get a little bit of production from some of the new trees we planted last year. So that's actually very, very fast. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I have not been able to go. I was supposed to be there now. Uh, and also in, in uh, no, now, um, to work. But uh, Elias is trying to help me, but uh, also he is struggling getting workers because of the corona situation. So I'm not sure if it's going to be, you know, producing that well in the next year. Uh, it really depends on how we're able to, to treat the soil and, and see if we can get things moving. But uh, I'm hoping that, you know, within the next two, three years, we will be able to at least sell a little bit of green coffee and, uh, and maybe even roasted coffee. Cool. Um I can't believe that's been nearly an hour because, uh, yeah, uh, we, time flew. Um, we still got a few minutes, but halfway through my question, so I'm going to have to to, shoot, to, to combine some of them. Um, well, this will be an out-of-the-box question, but what, what coffee do you usually drink in the morning? Espresso, filter, Aeropress? No, filter coffee. And uh, I normally choose coffees that are not too uh, high acidity. Like, I prefer to drink, like, sweet coffees from Finca Tamana or Katuai from the Caballeros. And then I'll move on to more, like, aromatic sweet coffee or fruity coffees or something after a while. And uh, you cover the whole spectrum of coffee, you know? You, you, you're a writer, you're author, you're roaster, you're barista, you, you know, you cover a lot. Um, active into farms. What's and I'll combine that with what would you like to see in the future of coffee? Question What is your core passion? Um, you know, is it training, is it teaching, is it writing, is it roasting, or is it everything? <laughs> I, th I think you know, it's everything because uh, okay. I, I feel like uh, working with all, uh, all parts of the chain really makes the drinking experience for me personally much better so uh but uh, you know in the recent years i've been spending a lot of times uh, time on my farm and you know trying to prove that you can grow uh, coffee organically in a, in a in a good way and i really hope that i will succeed in that and that's kind of my biggest passion at the moment or that's where i spend a lot of energy trying to learn and you know uh Cool. And uh, what, what, kind of, what would you like to see in the future of coffee? I know that we got this big incognito, you know, this big uh, cloud of the virus, but aside from that, what would you like to see? Uh, more commitment from buyers towards uh, farmers. That's, uh, you know, uh, if you have good commitment, that can actually be sometimes better than necessarily paying the highest price. You know, if you have roasters and importers that are committed to buying from the same farmers every year and for a for a good price that is fair that's uh, what i would like to see okay yeah i think it's something very important and we it's going to become even more important with post after covid19 for sure and um yeah. this is a quick one where are you planning to visit melbourne for the wbc are you coming to australia anytime soon well, uh, you know, was no. that in the plan? Okay. No, it wasn't. I, I wanted to, but uh, I, ha I had plans to go to my farm and work there with uh, actually one of our roasters. But, uh, you know, that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to travel more in the coming years. So um, 
when I travel, I have to prioritize my own farm actually, and, and be there and work there. So I'll have to I'll have to come to Norway. It's a good excuse yeah. to meet you there. Um, and kind of hovering around the virus, but what's next uh, on Teams Planet? Uh, well, we're trying, we're trying to make our subscription program even better, uh, making more videos. Uh, I just hired a new uh, marketing and digital manager, uh, which is, uh, used to be a freelance photographer. So she's more into this kind of photo stuff. Our previous one is, was more into you know, programming websites and stuff like that. So she's actually helped us build a new website. But, um, so yeah, we're focusing a little bit more on making more videos and making our subscription program a little bit better and That's more interactive. Cool. And I, I actually really appreciate your uh, content creation because that's my, that's what I do for a living. Um, after um, all my coffee journey, I'm still in <laughs> coffee. Uh, basically, yeah, I think I think there is still a lot of space, um, and you know, you and James especially do an amazing job online uh, with sharing, and I think it's fantastic with what you guys do in terms of digitally creating and sharing. Uh, I mean, I was. When I bought my first AeroPress, I hopped online and I watched your tutorial because I was like, oh, I want to know, I want to know from the best. I mean, I, and I literally punched in how to bring AeroPress and your video popped up. Uh, yeah, that's great. Top, top three searches. So true story too. Um, now, I always like to ask this question, especially because um, everyone has such a different perspective and different cultures, but do you have any word of advice for all the people out there who are chasing their coffee or non-coffee dreams? Because I think sometimes we're always stopped and held by insecurities and fear of judgment. Yeah, well, uh, it's difficult. I my, I'm kind of made my career on, on really hard work and also determined work. Uh, I'm a person that likes to make a plan and stick to that plan and, and set goals and work towards those goals. So, uh, you know, Working hard doesn't help if you don't have a really a, a goal and knowing where you want to go, you know. So um, uh, if you want to become a roaster, you know, it doesn't help to work hard on, on uh, by cleaning the floors in a cafe. You have to kind of really think about how you're going to approach getting that job and, you know, being more active, visiting other people, you know, being... Uh, it's, it's A lot of times it's about networking, but uh, in my opinion as well, as an employer, I really value loyalty and hard work. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's difficult, but, you know, honest hard work never hurts. And uh, being a little bit smart about and having a plan for it also helps, I think. And, I, and I'm glad that you brought up the uh, networking side in terms of, I think, in this day and age, we forget how easy it is to send a small message like I did with you. Uh, I was simply, hey, team, um, I just started this live interview you want to hop on and you know i think it's uh, if you want to be a roaster you're right you you know you shouldn't break your back in the back of a kitchen or on the floor and you just and and attend those public events you're right um i'm always scared with instagram because then all of a sudden as you know it gives the 30 seconds countdown and i know you're a busy one um is there anything that you left off the table that you want to kind of a little plug-in or something because i know you run your podcast and all of that stuff too. So anything that you want to share uh, before I thank you, because I'm very grateful for this uh, hour with you and uh, amazing chat. No, I think, you know, uh, 
uh, what can really help uh, our industry uh, go through this kind of crisis? I know, you know people still drink a lot of coffee, but I think you know being a little bit more uh, wise about where you buy your coffee uh, can really make a difference for for a lot of people, not just roasters and baristas, but also the farmers. So yeah. if if you're able to buy coffees that are a little bit more transparent, and I think that will at least send a message and and help uh, help farmers through this as well. Okay, thanks for that. And uh, you are going live, or you're on a podcast, or something like that today at some stage. Twice, I'm actually doing a Ask Me Anything on coffee farming later today uh, at four o'clock, I think it is CET, so Central European time. And then at eight o'clock uh, at night, I'm doing an interview with uh, Federico Bolanios from El Salvador. Fantastic! So, uh, it's a busy day for me. I'm glad. No, it's good because then if people rewatch it or they missed it, they can catch you elsewhere, which is fantastic. Um, yeah. I'm feeling super grateful and thankful um, for you sharing your stories, knowledge, advice. Thanks for uh, inviting me. To, no, <laughs> thanks for coming and giving us um, your time. I really appreciate it. And I, and I hope that one day I'll, I'll hop on a plane and come to Oslo and come and visit, yes. visit you and drink some coffee. But uh, until then, um, stay safe. And we'll, we'll we'll keep watching you um, doing the things, the amazing things that you do for the coffee community. And uh, I thank you on behalf of it, even though I don't represent the coffee community. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, thanks for that. And uh, I really appreciate uh, this chat. It was a uh, it was amazing. This is the positives of the virus because yeah. without the virus, Zoom and all these things were always there. But now it gave us a chance to connect on a different level for sure. Definitely. Well, thank you for watching, everyone, and uh, yeah, stay safe. Thank you, team. Take it easy. Ciao. Ciao. There you have it. I believe that we are a shy 50 seconds away from the live to shut down. I want to just say thank you to all of you who joined. Uh, Dynamic Start, there's going to be a recording. It's going to be posted on my YouTube channel as well on the podcast. Usually it takes two to three days just because I'm uh, reposting the previous episodes. Uh, thank you all for coming in. It was just a huge event, huge episode, really feeling lots of gratitude. Um, team just, it seems such a good guy too. Um, and I love doing these episodes. So um, without you, it wouldn't be possible. So I really want to thank you all uh, for, for being here and telling your friends the feedback has been great that I've been receiving on, on a private level. So I'm just going to shout out to you guys. Jessica, you're always here. Brew Theory, my man as well. We're going to do the Sydney tours. Uh, Binaya, uh, Pierre Mons, you know, Dynamic, Barista Jacob, I see you. I see you. It's not the first time. Uh, Papil, uh, Tubra, Lecali Coffee. Um, who else we got in the building? Uh, passionate about coffee, uh, coffee sat, Sasha, and uh, Jimmy, if he's still in the house, Mubarak, Charlie Chua, and what else we got here? Summer Coffee, Sean, uh, and all of you. Uh, 51, Coke, uh, thank you. Um, arigato, you're from Japan, that's the only word that I know. Um, yeah, amazing. It was just a, a very very amazing chat with Tim. I'm going to post a story about his page if people don't know who he is, so you can check him out. 
we got a 20 seconds reminder here now from Instagram. So I'm sending you all much love. Uh, please stay safe. Look after yourself. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow with the next episode of, uh, as usual, Coffee with Mirko. It's been a pleasure. Take it easy.